Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Randy, how's it going? Hey, Jake, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, but uh, I have a feeling that you have way more stuff to talk about than I do. Yeah, well, what's incredible is that I'm actually in Medellin, Colombia right now and uh, have been here for about a week. It is an incredible city. You know, when we were here last time for FPA Worlds four or five years ago, never really got a chance to explore the city or kind of just feel what it was like, although I had a really good feeling about it, didn't really get to do the deep dive. And so I was like, I need to go back to Colombia and I'm going to go spend a month there. I'm going to get an apartment, kind of lean into what does Medellin have to offer. So Jill, my wife, and I decided to rent an apartment for a month and come and do just exactly that. So here we are in our first week. And I can't believe it. I mean, Medellin is an incredibly beautiful city. So feeling like, uh, you know, we really made the right choice. Wow. Yeah. So I'm super jealous. I remember being there at Worlds and I remember the that there was actually quite a jam scene more than I thought when we went there in 2014, but I haven't been back since. So I'm just curious, what's the jam community like now? What Have you had a chance to experience it yet? So got to have one jam yesterday, and it was just kind of a, a tip of the iceberg. Uh, we're going to have another jam tomorrow where there's going to be the rest of the jammers show up. But there was 10 jammers there, and several of them I had never met before. And I really think that Medellin is one of the most vibrant jam communities in the world right now. And a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. And along with that, I'm looking at the calendar and I see that there's a tournament coming up in Medellin on January 18th and 19th. Uh, I've been talking to Pablo a little bit and he might even try to stream it. Not clear yet, but that would be super cool. But wow, you're going to be there for that tournament. A tournament in Medellin in January just seems perfect. Most of us, I mean me, I'm here in Portland, it's raining, it's cold. How amazing would it be to go to the city of Eternal Spring and have some nice weather for a weekend and jam with the people? Um, But I'm also just impressed at how many people are going to be there. When I first saw the announcement, I thought it would be a little small hat tournament with the Medellin locals. But you're saying 10 jammers and that's the tip of the iceberg. So there's way more jammers than that. And then how many people did you say were coming into town for this? You know, I don't have the actual count, but I believe there's going to be, you know, double digits for sure. So they're going to have a pretty good turnout uh, overall for for this inaugural event. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this might be the next the next Frisbeer for all of the people in the American continents. Exactly. That's exactly what I told Pablo. I was like, Pablo, this is ready to explode. So I I have my fingers crossed. Yay. That's super cool. Yeah. So uh, with that, why don't we jump into today's episode? We are going to continue our conversation with Daniel O'Neill. And uh, we actually talk about his travels and we talk a little bit about Medellin as he was here earlier. So that's kind of cool that we get to talk about his travels. But we're going to start off on more of a personal note with Daniel. And with that, enjoy. So I want to talk about one of the things that you brought up and suggested that you wanted to discuss. So you're openly gay within the freestyle community, and I'm not sure that's always been the case. I'm hoping that maybe you can share your story with us and what that was like coming out to the community and and uh, how that was received. 
Yeah, I mean, I I came out pretty late. Probably, I, I think of it as like 23. Um, that, that's when I told my parents. It was kind of a slow, it wasn't, didn't happen all at once. I'm still to this day finding my my voice and my my pride about it um it is something that i'm that i'm proud of and that i think is not well represented in our sport if i'm honest i don't know a lot of openly gay athletes in freestyle frisbee yeah i mean in in terms of the with the freestyle community there was never like a an announcement or anything but i remember paul kenny asked me about it in 2013 or something or like 2000 i don't know like sometime leading up to the second world championships that we won i shared it with him and then just kind of slowly over time i've just been embracing it and sharing it with more and more people and it's not something that i you know that i shout from the rooftop or or wear on my sleeve necessarily but i think it's important for young gay athletes to have good role models. I think in general, in sports, it's not always the most inclusive environment. And and freestyle frisbee would be a great sport for young gay youth to to approach. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's got such a clear connection to dance. I don't want to outright say freestyle frisbee is gay, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, you know, it's just kind of funny or ironic to me that I cannot count on one hand gay freestyle frisbee players in the sport today. So that's that's problematic to me. I'm curious also to hear how do you have been received when you share that with folks? Um, what's been your experience? Oh, God, I've only been it's only been received with you. Know, I mean, I don't think anybody cares or or thinks a thing differently about me and uh, honestly it doesn't have that much to do with my game and it doesn't come up all that often one way or another um and that's the way it should be right Um, so so i mean i can i can say that in every way the freestyle frisbee community is one of the most inclusive groups of people and that's what we all love about it um is that you can be yourself uh, and express yourself exactly who you are, um, and the the freestyle frisbee community is going to love you for that. So I've definitely found that to be the case. Well, maybe this might make other people who, like you say, you don't know who else might be out there. Maybe you being open about this opens the door, and like, oh, it's not a scary thing. It's people are going to totally accept me for who I am. Yeah, exactly. So from one of the top players in the sport to the community it gets better all young gay frisbee players should you know should feel proud and be the next world champions in our sport let your freak flag fly man that's what i say yeah well i just love that you said what i would have thought and i'm glad that you said it that our our sport is very opening and accepting of people for who they are that's one of the things that i've loved about it that's part of that whole jamily concept and so i'm glad that you're feeling that still Definitely. Cool. Yeah. So Daniel, I know that you've been traveling a ton and meeting a lot of other uh, freestyle Frisbee communities. I would love to hear about some of your experiences. First of all, which is your favorite experience so far? Wow. That's tough. I mean, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is, a uh, my trip to Japan. I spent one month in Japan 
in last year, 2018, and kind of end of September into October. And that was really eye-opening for me. They've got such a different culture to us. And so it's a beautiful country. I recommend that everybody go visit. But what really inspired me to go is that there's all these freestylers over there and and they don't get to come to the tournaments and hang out with us and be a part of our community in the in in the same way that you know we take it for granted um we're lucky to have you know so many players and and tournaments and a distance that we can get to but you know i just saw an opportunity i i saw that there's a lot of talented excited frisbee players freestylers in japan and it didn't seem like anybody had been over there really or not that much to fire those guys up and i wanted to be the one to do it and so i um i went over there for a month i spent two weeks in tokyo did you guys know that in uh, yutaka harashina told me this he's he's like one of the old school japanese players he lives in nagoya great guy doesn't speak a word of English. We were like talking on like Google Translate the whole time. <laughs> laughing, having the best time. Not everybody speaks English over there, but they're all so willing to try and they want to communicate with you however they can. There's just an amazing amount of hospitality. Um, it's super clean over there. Uh, sorry, I, I could talk about that but what i was going to get into is did you know that in in 1979 the japan uh the japanese championship the japan freestyle open had 70 competitors all japanese wow the freestyle open that's right yeah 70 freestyle competitors japanese in 1979 so there is a long rich history of freestyle frisbee in japan as there is in the united states um, and I was very honored to meet some of the older players who are a part of that history um, and the younger players who are coming up in the sport. And it was really cool. In Tokyo, there was like four distinct groups of players, I would say. And I kind of got the sense that they wouldn't always play with each other or like they kind of did their own things. But because I was in town, like everybody kind of got together. But there was like, there's the old school generation. They play a lot of counter, um, almost all counter. Then you got these wow. new guys, like in their early 30s. They play all clock. Um, <laughs> so it's really funny how that works. Then there's the spin collective Tokyo guys. They play an urban game and they've built an entire map around Tokyo with all it, the coordinates of every round wall. There's the green stages and the concrete stages and this very elaborate theme park that these Spin Collective Tokyo guys have built. They do a little freestyle, you know, little tips, little delays, but mainly their game is, you know, explore the city, use the environment as your playground. And then you have what I would call the heavers. Uh, In New York City, we call them the heavers, long distance throw and catch kick tips, trick catches, but, you know, no long combos, never touch the disc more than, you know, two or three quick little alterations before you catch it. It's a nice game. 
Um, so those four distinct groups all exist in Tokyo. You have at least 25 players there. Yeah, there's some a couple players in Osaka. Uh, I went to this uh, beach tournament called Gamagori. Unfortunately, um, there was uh, bad weather, but it was like a beach ultimate tournament. And I just found that, you know, the Japanese are uh, very curious people. They learn quickly. And with so much video at our disposal now, with where the world is moving, I think... I want to challenge us freestylers to do a better job at integrating and including the parts of the world where there's interest in freestyle, where they can't make it physically to come to a lot of the tournaments that, that we get to um, because they're over there and there's a lot of them and they're fired up and I'm about to go to Africa and try and do the same thing over there. And we need to make ways to, engage these people keep them interested teach them help them without necessarily being there with them in person you know i see the power of being there in person which is why i've done my best to try and go see the world selfishly but also go to places where there are freestylers and fire them up earlier this year i went down to colombia it's my second time after the world championships spent a long while in medellin down there too they've got a since the world championships, I've met at least five brand new players who weren't playing at that time. So, it, you know, that tournament did have a big impact, even if we didn't see it immediately when we were down there. That's one of the reasons why we're really fired up about the city versus city uh, format that we were able to kind of launch with the initial test of four cities. And Medellin, since you're speaking about them, they were one of them. And that was one of the reasons why we wanted to include them in is because they don't have the ability to travel. That really had an impact for all of those folks, all those young jammers who felt like they had a platform. They got a, a chance to show their shit. I echo what you're saying about this. You know, let's bring freestyle to, you know, these communities that can't get to tournaments. Well, I think that city versus city is a, a great opportunity for that to have impact. 100% agree. Yeah, I'd love to see it you know, scale next time and have 12 cities. 12. We're well, going to go to eight next. <laughs> yeah. eight. It takes a lot of bandwidth and a lot of, you know, cause you got what, the more that you expand the number of teams, that's the more battles that have to happen. And so then, so eight is going to be next. And I think we're going to have the original four that were the first out of the gate. So that's New York city, Medellin, Bologna and Berlin and Rome is going to be added in uh, Warsaw. And I think there still is two more that we're trying to finalize. But, you know, maybe Japan would be a place that we need to. Yeah, uh, I, would, I would definitely vote for Tokyo to, to take one of those spots and maybe Israel since the world is happening there next year. And uh, in the Middle East, like good coverage. They've got a ton of great talent there. OK, yeah, to wants Israel. too. Oh, Toronto, Toronto wants in too, right? Likely to be in. And how come? It, how come it has to have the original four? I don't know. They they question. they know the setup. They know how to make it happen. Yeah, I don't know. I I thought the original four because yes, they've already done it. They know how it works, so that makes it a little bit easier than bringing on eight brand new teams. But also like Bologna. So it was Manuel who came up with this idea in the beginning, and so I don't want to exclude him from it. And then. Um, or Berlin won, so I think they should have a chance to defend. So I don't know, it's tough. Like, you've been there, you should stay there. That's kind of how I feel about it. 
But I can also see the the perspective of we need to include as many people as possible. It's tough. So nothing is nothing is solidified yet. We're still figuring it all out. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the vision is like someday have like 16, 20, 14s and have leagues, all of that stuff. And I, I think it's there to be taken. It's just it's a buttload of work. It's a buttload <laughs> and, of work, uh, yeah. Yeah, and Jake really does a lot of the heavy lifting. The framework, yeah. I don't think it's that far off. Pretty cool. Yeah, so it was an interesting conversation with Daniel talking about the framework of city versus city. And man, I just I see so much potential. It seems like it's a great package. There's a great show. Um, it's very well time-bound. It's easy to understand. It's uh, super exciting. But right now, the challenge that we're facing is uh, the scaling portion of it. So I remember how much effort it was to do the four cities that we did last time. And it's, it seems like it's almost a full-time job right now for... Uh, for me and probably a halftime job for you just to get each event to run. And so to scale it up to 16 teams, man, I just can't imagine how that's possible unless we're being paid full-time salaries for that. So um, this year, in my mind, is really all about uh, taking the baby step of going from four to eight and then um, trying some new things for each event on the back end to see how can we make this less work and make it scale so that we will have the potential to go even bigger next time. Yeah. And uh, I think you're absolutely right. So there was never really a a process of picking teams. We kind of took the original four and then it was sort of a first come first serve. So we hear you, Matteo Godoni there in Forley, and we hear you, Jakob Coastal in Prague, and we hear you, Ayal Benin in Tel Aviv, and we hear you, Tokyo, and we hear you, San Diego. You know, we just have to figure out how to scale this thing. So we're going to try and get as many cities involved in this. And I think the most exciting takeaway from that is that there's so many cities that want to participate. So that's pretty cool. And I think that speaks volumes for the format and just how much reach we could get with this. So that's pretty cool. Yes. And the first event is coming up, Toronto versus Medellin. January 25th, so you definitely don't want to miss that. And uh, don't forget also, the weekend before is the Medellin event that we talked about earlier. Hopefully we'll get that live streamed as well and you'll get to watch. Even better would be if you could make your way to Medellin and participate. And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee. <laughs>